So it may feel, I am aware, uh, that it is not, uh, that it may not be the most exciting topic to talk about uh, leadership and structure within the church. It may feel that way. Um, and it may feel a little bit uh, peripheral, perhaps not something that um, is of the highest importance to us all. But it really is an important topic. And it's of great value that God has given us these words and that we get to think about it together. Uh, and that's because leadership um, really does have a significant impact on any organisation. Um, we know that from uh, outside of the church, uh, that leadership, whether it's good or bad, has such a big impact. Um, it can be easy to think of the church as a place where there is no hierarchy, uh, because we've all been made um, level in one sense at the foot of the cross. Um, or perhaps conceive of church uh, in this kind of idealistic way that we wouldn't need uh, leaders. Uh, but the truth is, uh, we really do. We do need leaders. We still need leaders. Um, and they are more than just a necessary evil. <coughs> I think one of the first things uh, as well that we want to remember when we're thinking about the church uh, and church leadership uh, is the thing being led. In the case of the church, uh, what is being led is the people who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And this is where I want to uh, hopefully uh, lay a lot of emphasis tonight. Um, which I think undergirds the words that we have here. I'm going to be so bold as to say, I think it's impossible to place a higher value upon any created thing. I think it's impossible to place a higher value upon any created thing. The church was purchased by Christ's own blood. 1 Timothy says, remember that you were ransomed, bought, not with perishable things like silver or gold, and there he's grabbing at the, the most expensive things, not with perishable things like that, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a spotless lamb. The price of the purchase can't get higher. I can't think of any created thing that has got a higher value placed upon it. Only God himself is more valuable than God's blood-bought people. And I think that that, that should give us pause for thought and perhaps weed out from among us those who desire to lead only for selfish reasons. The desire for leading should come from a place of loving the church and longing for its flourishing and from a place of seeing extraordinary value in who is being led. <clears throat> and I think we can add here as well that we must remember that the church is, isn't just an idea. 
it's not just a blood-bought idea or a blood-bought object, it's real people. Real flesh and blood people with real lives. Not exceptional people, ordinary people like you and me. People who still deal with struggles of life and need care, support, instruction, encouragement, presence and even correction along the way. I think that's just really important right from the outset. And what we're dealing with when we're thinking about leadership in church, thinking about who's being led, who is it being seen over, and we think they're real people purchased by Christ. And that should raise our sense of importance um, and reverence towards the task. <clears throat> and I think will help us to see, and here's where it lands and connects with our text, with such a precious item. Does it not make sense that we have such high standards? That, 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 that we should be given instructions for who could have this task and that we should think carefully about it. Anyone who wants to aspire to a leadership, straight away, what does Paul say? Desires a noble task. He desires a good work. And therefore, verse 2, the overseer is to be above reproach because of the task at hand, which is valuable, he needs to be above reproach. <clears throat> and so that, I say, I just think will undergird what comes here uh, in, our, in our verses. For the purposes of our text tonight, uh, we just need to distinguish between overseers and deacons. So we have overseers in the first section, and then it moves from verse 8 uh, on to deacons. Overseers provide uh, oversight of the church as a whole, while deacons, a word meaning servants, uh, serve in various capacities and contexts and uh, serve as an extension and support of that overseeing leadership. So, getting into our text, then, we'll start with overseers. What are the requirements for an overseer uh, to uh, be in this uh, position? The first thing to say, just to get it off the table, is that uh, I think that the position of an overseer is uh, something that's restricted to males only. And um, part of the reason I'm reading it that way is from what we learned last week about uh, Paul giving an instruction that women should not teach or to exercise authority over a man. Um, and I think that that's particularly in the formal setting of the gathered church and um, it follows the correspondence uh, that this position, therefore, would be for men who overseeing will clearly involve exercising, exercising oversight. Um, and one of the um, criteria being able to teach, uh, I think in the context of 1 Timothy makes best sense if it is also teaching in that public setting. Not only that, but there seems to be just an assumed he in the passage. Um, he's faithful to his wife. Um, seems to be that that is the uh, that's the flow uh, of the passage as we read it uh, at face value. Verse 4, he must manage his own family well. Uh, and so I think we'll be reading something else into it to try to say, oh, it's actually just in principle and it applies to women. So I think it should be a man. 
Uh, but that's not where I want to focus our attention. I want to focus our attention firstly on the posture of the overseer. And I put it this way because I think these first few words that Paul says that the overseer needs to be concern the heart and manner of the overseer. And I just, so I refer to it as that posture. Now let's see what they are. Now the overseer is to be above reproach. That's the kind of umbrella term. And then he says, faithful to his wife, who's a man of one woman, uh, temperate, self-controlled, respectable. I think they speak, those words together, speak of dignity, respectability, uh, seriousness, sobriety, awakeness, alertness, self-control, order, honour, I repeat, dignity, respectability. I think the overseer, and straight off the back here, he's saying it's really important that it be a man who models that picture that we've seen from the order of creation, of marriage, uh, and therefore is reflecting Christ and the church in his um, uh, in his sexuality, but then I think all these words combine to capture somebody who has has grasped the gravity of the task at hand, uh, the seriousness of the gospel message, um, the worthiness of the gospel message that it should be adorned with, um, with respectability, with seriousness, with sobriety, with alertness, um, aware of the times, aware of the dangers. Um, aware of the people at hand. Uh, somebody I, I spoke to recently spoke of um, the word um, gravitas. Um, I've got a sense of, I don't know whether that's a, if it's appropriate, but it's a sense of gravity uh, about the person. That's, I think, what Paul's getting at um, uh, in these first words. It's someone who controls their emotions and behaviour, a person who's not here, there and everywhere. Uh, a person of stability, a person you would feel comfortable and safe to be around, a person of reliability, a person you can trust. So it's about character. The role is hard, there is pressure in the role, and character is essential. And then we see that violence uh, is an issue. He says, not given to drunkenness, not violent. The danger of a violent heart to the church. We know Proverbs tells us harsh words stir up anger, but kind words turn away wrath. So an overseer can't be someone who is volatile. They must exercise patience and gentleness and how easy it can be uh, to get frustrated and um, be harsh overseeing, leading the sheep. Paul also speaks about being hospitable. I think this is a word that speaks about care, inclusion. Is the person a shepherd? Do they open their home? Do they look out for people outside of their circle or are they just surrounded by friends? And the reason that needs to be the case in the overseer is because the gospel is about welcoming strangers in. It's about getting messy with the mess of life. Jesus is not a far-off man who didn't want anything to do with people. Jesus is close. And hospitality shows concern for people, a love for people. And this is 
like God, who loves people so much that he sent his son to save them. And so that character needs to be exhibited in the overseer. It says again, it says here that he needs to be able to teach. <clears throat> and if we were to look for the distinguishing characteristic between the elders and the deacons, uh, this would be uh, that probably that characteristic. Um, and the reason, that is, that they are able to teach, the reason is, um, is because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And that is a message of words. That's what we have. We use words. Uh, and the right words matter. We cannot just switch words up and expect the same message to be carried on. Uh, there's an objective reality to which our words are meant to conform. And if we miss this reality, we don't speak truth and we don't bring life. And we don't connect people or ourselves to the God who is. That, that's, that's just what happens. We may sound clever and warm many hearts and inspire much action and even bring about levels of superficial change, but we will not be connecting people to the God who is and we will not be leading people into eternal life. Right teaching is critical because the reality is objective. We live in a world which makes us think that just about everything is malleable, but this is nonsense, and nobody actually functionally lives this way. And our teaching needs to conform to that objective reality. Paul is concerned to say to Timothy, guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. There's a message, there's a content of a message that is getting handed down from generation to generation, passed on, preserved in the church, and this is the location where, amongst the overseers, where the buck stops. And so overseers need to be able to teach. If the baton doesn't get passed on correctly from generation to generation, that precious message that we heard earlier on in the chapter and which we just need to keep reminding ourselves of, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, continues to be preserved in the church so that many other people can receive the blessing of eternal life. That's what Paul, that's what Paul was talking about in this letter. He, 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 so eternal life comes up a number of times in this letter. It's a concern of Paul. That's why he says at the beginning when he's talking about his own life, and how Christ showed mercy to him, he says, but, this is chapter 1, verse 16, but for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Right? Paul's constantly got his eye on eternal life. He's used me for eternal life. Timothy, you take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. He says... Tell the rich to be generous and to share and to do good and to uh, store up for, for themselves a future, whether they may take hold of that which is truly life. The church is guarding the gospel of eternal life. 
Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. And we need teachers that stand, that uh, elders, sorry, overseers that stand there and know that gospel and are able to teach it. As, we, as I said at the beginning, it's the blood-bought people of God. And he wants to add to his number. Much is at stake. So an overseer must be able to teach. And that's both right content and understandable delivery. It's no good knowing everything, but not being able to communicate in a way that no one can understand. Just as much as it is no good communicating the wrong thing well. Paul then, uh, moving on, moves to the home life of the overseer. We see there he must manage his own family well. I didn't make any mention, sorry, of, of not a lover of money, but gosh, that really is critical, isn't it? Because with that, you know, we can talk about that perspective of, of eternal life. Lover of money is the same thing as having uh, marked for the weeds of this life, the cares, the deceitfulness of riches coming up and choking the word. And we can't have overseers who, who've fallen in love with money and fallen in love with this world and aren't able to uh, live out the, the life of faith and hope that says no to a whole bunch of pleasures now because we are believing God's promise that the inheritance will um, be worth a thousand sunshines. Uh, and we need to, uh, the, the overseers need to be those kind of people because you also can't call people into a life of faith that is costly if you yourself are consumed with the things of this world. And overseers need to be those kind of people, demonstrably living for the new creation. That was a sidebar. We're talking here about managing his own family well, verse 4, and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Now, the reason this is important, Paul tells us, in fact, and it's quite simple, isn't it? Partly because the home is the proving ground for the public. And then so Paul makes the simple, logical connection, which is, if a person doesn't know how to manage their own home, how are they going to be able to manage God's household, the church? But praise God for Paul, that Paul told us this so that we can see that connection and say, oh, that's right, that's how we are to conceive of the church as a family and as the overseers being people who are leading the family, just like the home is supposed to be led. And why is this connection so important? Well, it's quite simple, I suppose. They, they both include people. They're both family. They both have their challenges. They both require a man to exercise loving servant authority. They both require prayer. They both require patience. They both require consistency. Managing a home well is a hard task. And a sign of whether a man knows how to manage his home is whether he can manage his kids. 
And so he says, if a man, he says he must manage his own children well. Um, and I think you can see as an example of this, if a man cannot instruct and disciple, so if he can't instruct, sorry, and discipline his own children, how is he going to be able to deal with conflicts in the church? Right? We all know that as we grow up, unless the Lord's Spirit is working in us, this is one of the fallacies that um, uh, the, the mindset of the world will, will drum into us, is that um, age will make us wiser and nicer. That's just totally wrong. Age just um, uh, strengthens and confirms what is there. Bad trees don't slowly get it turned into nicer trees. They just get more rooted with a thicker trunk and um, more stubborn in what they are uh, uh, built into. Which means that it's not the case that children are difficult. It's the case that people are difficult. And so if we can't manage our children, which requires all those things that I've spoken about, patience, consistency, <laughs> as you say, the same thing again, confrontation if you can't discipline a child, but do it lovingly, which is so critically important, which is why we can't have a violent overseer. Very, very hard tasks. It's, as you, you can kind of see as the, as the criteria get put together, ah, oh, we're looking for someone who's looking more and more like Jesus. Tough and tender, but not so tough that he's... Um, uh, oh, C.S. Lewis has got this thing where he... I'll, I'll mix it up and I'll do like... A, I'm, I'm getting this from C.S. Lewis, right? But I'm remixing it for this. He says, uh, you could say... As tough as anybody could be, who was also tender. And as tender as anybody could be, who was at the same time tough. And I'll tell you afterwards where he used it from, which is a wonderful little thing. But, but, but that's really key, isn't it? That the man be able to do that, um, and be able to do that in the home. And if a man cannot encourage good behaviour or pray for good behaviour, or command good behaviour in the home, then what is going to make us think he's going to be able to do it in the church? And that, I think, is what he's getting at here with uh, do so in a manner worthy of full respect. You know, there needs to be an exemplary factor about the man in the home. You can't just whip people into action. It's not just somebody who barks orders and has the perfect structure. I think there needs to be a winsomeness about the person, a person... You know, you've got to get to the child's level and, and win them over. That's not just a way of saying you only, it's only ever carrot, as it were, and you're only ever, you know, uh, drawing out the child and there's no point in which the child um, ever receives a, actually, you are a child and, and under the authority of the parents. But it needs to be in a place where the children, there's a dignity about the, way, the whole way that it's done. It's not just somebody cracking the whip in the home. For the unmarried man, or the man without children, this will be a harder thing to assess. I don't think that what we have here in Paul's criteria are uh, the necessary things that he has to have. So it says he needs to be this kind of man, but I don't think that the person, therefore, must be married or must have children. 
I think that that would exclude, well, Paul, um, quite possibly Timothy, uh, Jesus. I don't think Jesus is quite as relevant, but I think Paul and Timothy are. Um, and I think having children, not, not everybody's able to have children. That's the providence of God. And so um, I think it would just mean that we have to look for the essence of those things that were required in parenting and managing the home and to see them outworked in other areas of the person's life. So two more things. They mustn't be a recent convert or else they may become puffed up, puffed up with pride and this could lead them to be condemned along with the devil. Oh, and this is, we see that this, this is a real danger, isn't it? The ability to, you know, um, the ability to be in a position of, over, of leadership and to make you feel important. Um, and that, that's a very dangerous place to be in, and Paul's very aware of that. Um, and Paul seems to think that actually this can lead a person away from devotion to Christ and into serious sin uh, to... Um, to think that it was something about them uh, to not be sufficiently grounded in the gospel that seems to Paul take some time for that to happen. That we would remember that um, uh, just, you know, we're placed in a position of, uh, of being a leader, of being an overseer, but this is about the, um, the arrangement of giftings in the church, not about the arrangement of value in the church. It's, it's, it's people who are gifted for the task by the grace of God, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, I worked harder than anybody else, but not I, he's very quick to qualify, but the grace of God that is at work with me. And that needs to be the posture of the overseer. And then second, Paul says that the person must be well thought of by outsiders. And this is Interesting because it reminds us of the public profile of the church, uh, that the church doesn't just live in a ghetto. The church is meant to be in the world and visible to the world. Um, and therefore uh, have a good reputation in the eyes of the world. And this brings us back to one of the critical reasons why it's so important to have good leadership. Um, because of the public witness of the church. And we see it here. Paul is concerned that there be order in the church, the way that the church is structured, and he wants the leaders to be respectable and to be in a position that they won't fall into reproach. Because the devil would love to have someone in a position of leadership and put them in a position of leadership, have the church do that, only to fall uh, into reproach later on because then he gets the win over the church. And we've seen that numerous times, haven't we? Um, and uh, how sad that can be when the public witness of the church is marred uh, by poor leadership. And so Paul says that it starts here with the current leadership, uh, with Timothy, in appointing the correct men. And I've got here, the big idea is that we must treat the church as serious. We must treat the witness of the church as serious. We must treat the gospel of Jesus as serious and we must treat the care of the church with the highest reverence. And because of these things, we set a high bar for those, therefore, who lead the church. So I suppose one practical application would be for anybody who's considering um, being an overseer, who 
falls into this category of desiring to be an overseer. Uh, Paul says nothing about that being a wrong thing. I assume it's a good thing that there would be uh, men perhaps listening to this recording and thinking, oh, actually, I do desire to be an overseer. Praise God. Um, it's great that you desire to be an overseer. Maybe take some time to pray through some of these things, to examine your own life, to talk to people who know you and ask them, where could I grow uh, in these areas, uh, developing into an overseer, if I were to develop into an overseer. Requirements for deacons. Paul says deacons likewise, probably uh, by virtue of the formal responsibilities that they had, are to have a high character. I'm not going to spend as long on this because I'm guilty of going too long and I'm not going to do that today. A noticeable difference is in the way deacons are not required to teach, but simply to hold the faith with a clean conscience. Uh, even here, where there is no responsibility to teach, a deacon must be sure of what they believe and have a life of integrity that matches up with that belief. I think that's what's meant by um, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, with a clean conscience. Um, as far as I can see, deacons could carry out roles such as the administration of the benefits for widows. That's what we're going to encounter in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, which is a job requiring management. Uh, it will require relational skills with people, prayerfulness, and a heart that wasn't going to be sneaky for money themselves. And again, I think what I've said earlier about elders, having that same posture, this is the character of people who really do have their hopes set on a new creation. So this is why the deacon also must manage their home well, because I think that it's probably likely that deacons exercise roles in which they had to manage various teams, money, etc. Deacons have roles of leading people. The way I understand it is that they are, as I've said at the beginning, but I'll just repeat, as an, is an extension and a support to the elder oversight of the church. They are right and left arms. <coughs> Deacons also do tasks such as manage buildings or lead various ministries of mercy in the church. If the elders are primarily tasked with prayer, teaching and pastoral care, then I think we can say something like deacons are doing everything else under that. There's a question here about women deacons. Because you have here, verse 11, in the same way women are to be worthy of respect. I think I'm safe to say that at MRC, we understand, well, we certainly do have women deacons, so that is, we're okay with this. Uh, but I, I think what I'm gonna say is, is safe and within bounds here for, for this church. Uh, we understand the role, the whole council of scripture to teach that women can function as deacons under male oversight. And we gather this from this passage as one. You'll notice there in the NIV that we're using that it, where it says the women, if you look down with that little letter C, it says it could possibly um, mean refer to deacons' wives because that word that's translated women could also be translated as wives, which I think the ESV uh, does. So this passage here is a passage that um, it's not immediately obvious, hence why the NIV and the ESV have chosen different routes to take on translating it. 
um, and it could be read either way. So that's one of the reasons why we, are, we um, have female deacons. Another reason is that in Romans chapter 16, Paul refers to Phoebe, clearly a female, as a deacon. He uses the same word. It's a word for servant. Um, and while we, while we can note uh, that that word doesn't necessarily, in Romans 16, mean that um, Paul is saying that Phoebe held an official position or office in the church, he might just be saying that she is a servant of the church. Um, she seems to uh, have a significant place and if chapter 3 verse 11 also leans in that direction then it, it seems very reasonable to understand there being women deacons. And the third reason, and I think this is why um, a more significant one, is the fact that the role of deacon is a role of support and extension. Um, it fits with God's original creation design of Adam with Eve as helper. So I, I think it's, a, it's, it's, um, it's important that the, the dynamic of male headship in the home from Ephesians 5 and therefore mirrored in the, church, in the household of God uh, with male overseers isn't undermined by women being deacons. In fact, it actually seems to fit okay in that space because they're not um, positions of exercising authority and teaching in the formal gathered setting. They are an extension and a support of, um, of, the, of, the, overseer's, of the overseer's task. Um, and it also provides a context for, uh, sorry, I don't, we don't see, I think, leadership giftings being restricted to males only, uh, just leadership as a gifting, the ability to lead and to organise things. So well, I'm going to close our time there, but I just want to come back to something I said at the beginning, uh, and that's back to the order. That's back to order. Uh, I've said that at the beginning of this series, and I think it's something important in 1 Timothy. Um, there's order in the church, and therefore there's official roles, and there's criteria for putting people into those roles. Uh, because the church is upholding the gospel. It's a pillar and, pillar and foundation of the truth. Uh, it's important for the witness of the church. And the reason I reiterate it is because it's very easy to lower the bar on overseers and deacons. It's very easy to walk a very light path and not to be too serious about it. It's very easy to assume much and to test little. Uh, but the value of the church, which if there's, there's much to take away, but I really want to take this away, the value of the church and the message that we contain demands that this must not be the course that we take. When we look at the criteria, I suspect that much of it we don't find difficult to understand. But do we feel the need to uphold these categories rigorously?
That's what I want to leave us with. Do we see the dangers of false teaching creeping in and the need, therefore, for both deacons and overseers to know the faith with a clear conscience? Do we feel the value of the blood-bought church and therefore feel the need for overseers to really be carers of the church? In other words, do we really see that whoever aspires to the office of overseer aspires truly to a noble task? Let's say a quick prayer as we close. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for our time together tonight. Uh, Father, we, we give you thanks uh, for yeah, this, this incredible reality that we are purchased by the blood of your Son. We pray, Father, that we would all have a great high regard for what you've done, that we would not think lightly of one another, and that we would not, not think lightly of this our position of overseer. Please help us to be vigilant in uh, making sure that we don't um, neglect these criteria uh, because out of the um, just feeling that it's too hard or feeling that we don't want to confront anybody or it's going to be too awkward, uh, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us uh, in seeing the incredible value of the message that we hold, uh, the witness to the world. And we pray for those who are desiring uh, to be overseers among us. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would craft them, shape them into fit men uh, for the task and for deacons, uh, fit men and women for the task. Um, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.